0: All right. Welcome everyone to the beyond lived experience podcast after a nearly two year hiatus, um, I have a guest with me today, Andrew. Um, how about you introduce yourself, Andrew?
1: (laughs) Okay. My name is Andrew Pegram. I've been a peer support specialist for about five years now and I am very passionate about seeing social change and progress within mental health and seeing people have more options and seeing more holistic wellness care um, be available for people.
0: Nice, thank you. Um, I'm Nibel. I've been working as a peer support specialist for seven and a half years doesn't really feel like that long. Um, and I'm passionate about systems change. I've worked in a variety of settings and I'm also currently working as a manager. Um, so I think I'm really passionate about making sure that peer supports are doing you know, what they should be doing, what the original purpose and intent was and trying to undo and prevent some of that co-optation. And I also agree that I really want people to have options. Um, So to start off, um, Andrew, how would you define peer support for yourself?
1: (laughs) Peer support, I would say, is a type of care model based in lived experience. And it's it's grassroots origin is community based, and even though it's kind of moved away from that in recent years. I think it's still at the heart of what peer support really means. It's um, really trying to build community and bring that back into our society in a way.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And I I mean, I would like pretty much agree with your definition for myself. I will say that I feel like in terms of... um peer support being more focused on that grassroots piece, it does kind of depend where you look because I feel like for myself, I can still find that, you know, I have a couple of like meetup groups that I go to that are totally just peer support. You know, nobody's getting paid to do it. It's like a free group and everybody's just there supporting each other. You know, there may be one person or two people facilitating, but um, there's not like, the potential complications that might come if you are, say, doing peer support at a clinical organization that's very large and has lots of rules and (laughs) things like that. Um, So yeah, I think there's definitely pockets of it and um, some organizations that have peer support are better at keeping it closer to that grassroots um, focus. Than others, for
1: sure. Definitely true, yeah. I really love how you brought up the the groups, because I totally agree with that, and it's funny, because I guess my focus has just been so much lately on wanting to help migrate peers out of clinical settings, and so um, yeah, in a way, I, I guess I've been kind of hyper focused on that, but I know my heart's also really into into those groups into like um, like honestly for myself, like I've been watching lots of YouTube videos and hearing stories from people like I've been going through this really deep self-discovery journey of trying to find out more about um, what these different experiences I'm having and symptoms mean. And it's been very helpful for me to just listen to people's stories. And I feel like I get so much more out of that than I would have just going to see a clinician and getting diagnosed, which in the past didn't really work for me.
0: Yeah. I i mean, for myself, I think like I do see a therapist, but part of that is because like I don't really have very many options for one-on-one peer support um i did try to look a while back so um i think there's really you know a big difference like i can get it in that group setting but it's it's really not the same um and my therapist is great uh but i think at the end of the day i probably would prefer like having a one-on-one peer support that i could meet with once a week um versus a therapist um yeah totally i did I do think, you know, there's value to it, and sometimes, like, selfishly, I kind of like that there's not as much mutuality in the therapist-client relationship, and I can just kind of, you know, vent, and, like, the other person can be a sounding board for me, but I also kind of think that that's not really, like, a sustainable way to be in the world, and may have caused me to, you know, behave in certain ways in the past, like, almost like expecting other people to be my therapist. <laughs> mm. um, so I think peer support can be a great opportunity to practice like what those healthy relationships look like, you know, not only with the peer, but with other folks around us. <laughs> um, Cause I, I think it can just be easy to fall into that habit of like talking about what's wrong and, you know, being used to just, Um, other people are going to just absorb what I'm saying and like everyone around me is my sounding board. (laughs) That's a
1: good point. Yeah. Yeah, it it is. Yeah, I've been learning it is an unhealthy (laughs) habit to get into. Um, and I do sometimes fall into that.
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it's normal sometimes. And it's a matter also of like, you know, for myself, like, I have patience with people of, like, yeah, they're probably having a bad day and just need to vent, so, like, I'm just gonna listen right now, because, like, I would want somebody else to do the same thing for me, right? Um, So, I kind of hope that by doing that, you know, like, kind of like karma or something, you know, like, if I listen to other people vent, you know, they'll listen to me vent, and it kind of balances out, but um, I think I'm speaking more to situations where like one person is just constant vent mode and there's not like a turning off of that. And I think sometimes like those therapy relationships can, um, you know, with the best of intentions kind of lead to people falling into that dynamic.
1: Yeah. um, I want to backtrack a little bit because I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't want to discount therapists. And I, I, I've definitely had You know, I I do want to honor, like, the therapist that I've seen who, you know, I felt gave me the space to, like, process and start to, like, move towards accepting myself. Um, And, like, in those contexts, it wasn't really focused on a diagnosis, per se. It was more, like, I guess you could say, like, a process. Um, and And I've been finding, too, that, like, there are very, like, I guess, specific things about myself, I'm learning about and that mostly learning because of um, people with lived experience, articulating them really well to me is um, helping me like, confirm and clarify, oh, yeah. Um, I feel like I need to, I feel like this is really um, vague. So I'll just like, um, there's this guy, Jay Reed on YouTube, that I've been following, who talks a lot about like, um, narcissistic abuse and people who've like survived that and i've just been watching like video after video of him lately and it's just been clicking into place like like a hand in the glove like oh shit like this is everything i've experienced just about with with my upbringing and even um, past relationships like it's it's just um making so much sense and I appreciate him because he is, he's actually a clinician, but he also has lived experience of it. So it's really cool to see that, like that combination of like, you can tell he's speaking from knowing it personally and like having like healed and gone through it. Um, and I think that's why some people can speak so powerfully to it. Cause it's like, uh, yeah, they've actually gone through it.
0: Um, yeah. yeah, um, for sure. I mean, I think that, um, my experiences with therapists have been pretty positive for the most part, and I actually have had uh, more than one therapist support me in, like, questioning diagnoses that I had been over-identifying with at the time um, that turned out to, you know, maybe be, not be the best explanation for what was going on with me. Um, I think probably I was more pigeonholed into diagnoses by psychiatrists, <laughs> mm-hmm. um and you know that's just my personal experience i see a nurse practitioner now who's great and doesn't really do that um so yeah i i think it's it's really going to vary cuz you know first of all i think just in general the thing the um mental health field has been shifting a lot in the past decade um there's you know and you know, in the United States, we're having, like, huge cultural shifts as well. So, um, yeah, I think that, um, I've definitely seen more, like, forward thinking, uh, especially lately around, like, um, diagnosis and not putting people into a box as much, um, or, like, just focusing on, you know, what's going wrong, uh but i i feel like you know i i don't know for sure but my gut feeling is that um there may be may have had to be some unlearning on the part of those clinicians that i saw <laughs> in order to achieve that um because that's not you know maybe more recently but if you look at the past few decades like that's not really the way that the mental health field has been um
1: yeah. And there's, like, a huge difference, yeah. I noticed, between, like, um, yeah, being able to access, like, therapists that you choose on your own, and that might be private practice, like, yeah, because I think, like, a lot of, um, I think of the best way to say this, like, I feel like a lot of the therapists that I think most align with my values and kind of what I'm looking for, they're more People who are private practice and kind of are doing their own thing. And with like community based mental health clinics, um, people who go to get services there don't always really get the best choice of who they get to see. Right. There's almost like a pressure, or there's like such a shortage of availability, then it's like, okay, we'll put you on a waiting list and you'll get to see whoever's next, like, you know. Yeah,
0: so. Yeah, I mean, being able to, like, have private insurance and have some kind of choice over who I see as a therapist is definitely a privilege. And I know some people who work in the field who are like, I don't even bother with insurance at all. I just pay out of pocket and pick whoever I want. And it's like, well, yeah. that sounds nice. <laughs> um And there have been um, a couple of times like I really needed something specific like EMDR and I did have to pay out of pocket. And I do notice that that experience where there's not as much like clock watching and like things having to be tied to a treatment plan. Um, It's just, it is kind of a different experience. Um, Yeah. I do want to ask, it because I don't think I did, what inspires you about peer support? We kind of went on a little rabbit hole about <laughs> therapy, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> I really love that though, because I was going to riff off that, but I can tie that into your question too. Um, sure. so, so one of the things that inspires me about it actually is it, it does give people a choice who might be on Medicaid or have limited options and resources. Yeah. Peer support actually gives them a choice um, Like, at least here in Oregon, um, peer support is covered under Medicaid. So people can, as long as the peers are there, people can choose. And um, I see a lot of potential for it because it's, not to, like, undermine peer support, but uh, um, it's easier for someone to go through peer training than it is to, like, go get, like, a master's degree in psychology.
0: Right.
1: So it's not. Yeah,
0: 40 hours versus however many years. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. And it's, um, the upside of that is it makes the potential for peers to be more available and like accessible. Whereas like a lot of therapists and clinicians are, you know, um, just overburdened and don't have as much time and, you know, just, just a lot on their plate.
0: Yeah. I, I am curious though. Like, did you feel prepared to work as a peer after 40 hours of training? because I didn't <laughs> um
1: yes and no it was um how do I put it? it there are different things I felt prepared for and not prepared for I did not yeah. feel prepared to uh, grapple with the clinical worldview I felt no preparation for
0: that yeah um,
1: <laughs> that was very yeah, challenging sure. you know because you when you start working in a clinical setting and you're working with team members who have a very different worldview than you and you just came out of this training that's like pumping you up about you know person-centered values and the recovery model it's like okay go be advocates it's like okay and then you hit (laughs) a wall (laughs) so yeah for me that was yeah
0: i i resonate with that it sounds kind of similar to my experience where like you know i took the training and i was all like pumped up like Yeah, this is gonna be awesome. I'm just gonna be like having recovery oriented conversations all the time with people and it's gonna be great. And like, I was not prepared at all for the realities of working in a clinical organization or like that there would be any kind of pushback with like peer values versus clinical values. I was like, what do you mean? I'm here to be like supportive and awesome. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, that was definitely like. (laughs) a really, uh, eye-opening experience.
1: Yeah, it was, it was really, uh, it was really challenging for me. Um, but, you know, sometimes, you know, there are always at least a few, I think even in, you know, mental health clinics, there are always at least a few therapists who are more open-minded and more progressive. So I, I did, you know, I made friends with them and, um, it definitely helped, but yeah, when you're up against the whole entire culture, that's very different.
0: Yeah. And I think like, I got unlucky with my first team because it was like, I think other than one person, it was just like, everybody was uber clinical and like the icky kind where it was like, you know, we're going to talk crap about people because we're burnt out. And I was just like, geez this seems like really you know um hopeless and also it just felt unfair to like it it felt like people were being blamed for their mental health and you know some folks were going through what I would consider disabilities Mm -hmm. so I I just felt like I don't know it it was really ableist I guess um yeah Really like why can't this person just not do that <laughs> right um you know like the snl skit where the guys like yeah. stop it yeah. <laughs> you know basically yeah um so yeah and <clears throat> i think um now more in more recent years my experience has been like more people know about peer support because when I first started in the field, it was like, I had to explain what peer support was all the time, like over and over again. And, um, you know, in some ways I'm still doing that, but it, there's not um, more of the like, you know, I, I've i never heard of this. It's like this brand new thing. What is this? And it's more like, oh yeah, you know, I kind of know about this and like wanting to learn more. Um, so that's kind of cool to see.
1: Yeah. Um, I feel like, too, there's a kind of like what you said with the groups, like, um, well, I think a, like a lot of people have heard the terms like self-help, and um, most people have heard the term like support group, and I feel like that's, that's like a key part of it, too. Um how do I say this? <laughs> It's almost like the branding you know it's like the way mental health clinics kind of brand peer support is like it's just very specific it's like um oh these are almost like underlings to clinicians or i mean they don't say it like that but it's like there's almost <laughs> like a, a presentation if there's of... a
0: it, it's it's a power hi- hierarchy where you know you have therapists or social workers at the top of the totem pole and peers are at the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah. You know, essentially, like, I want to name that, that that has happened and may still happen. Um, I don't, where I work now, I don't feel that as much anymore, but I definitely felt that in my first peer job of, like, you know, what the therapist says goes, and your peer, you don't know what you're talking about.
1: And I think that energy kind of um, sort of radiates outward, and I think people pick up on that. Like, you know, yeah. participants kind of pick up on that energy, and it it can kind of subtly inform how they see peer support when they're introduced to it. Um, whereas in, if it's in a place, setting like um, like a group within the community, or if it's like... Yeah something online you know you know where people are just being open and vulnerable with each other i don't think people necessarily are coming into it with the mindset of like devaluing it they're coming into it with the mindset of like um man this is really beneficial like this is i'm feeling heard and seen and um i'm even getting to help support other people too we're doing this together and i think a lot of people like that but yeah um yeah, in mainstream mental health, that kind of energy isn't really conveyed around peer support, but, yeah, I think outside that, um, like, when people hear the, the term support group, I think they're more open to that.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's different, you know, peer support can look different in different settings. Um So I think that can play kind of a part, too, in people's experiences with it. Um, Like, if you go to a drop-in center versus, you know, meeting a peer out in the community. Yeah, Um, totally. I remember having a request from someone not to meet at Starbucks with a peer because they felt like they had met with a peer support before at a coffee shop, and it was, like, exposing or something when it was, like, oh, this is, like, something I tell people as a plus, you know, Hey, we can go get coffee and chat. So it was you know, it's interesting to see that someone was like, no, please don't (laughs) let's talk in a private area.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Different needs.
0: Yeah. Um, so what do you think about like the future of peer support where we're going?
1: Well, One thing I would love to see is um, because I've kind of been like straddling two different worlds. Like I've been straddling the peer world and in a way, like part of groups and online communities of like life coaches and holistic practitioners. And I see like the same values essentially in both communities. Um, And really a lot of like the life coaches I met. Um, also come from a standpoint of lived experience like that wounded healer sort of idea of um, I just see like like shifts in that field being more oriented towards like authenticity and like owning your stuff and coming from like a heart-centered place um I see like with peer support just because it's been insulated so much by like the mainstream mental health field, it's, um, I think it's taken on some of those qualities, but um, I feel like there's some kind of there's like an internal work, like um, internal process that I feel peers could, I don't know why I'm freezing up. Sorry, (laughs) I'm just, uh... (laughs) um, geez, there's just so much I want to say on it. Okay. So I see a need for shadow work in the peer community Mm. and, um, I, I think, like a lot of professional peers who come into the field, they've... Sorry, I'm trying to be careful because I feel like there's just, there's it's almost like a delicate issue. I, I well, want to like, do it in a respectful yeah, way. Yeah, that's,
0: that's totally fine. I mean, I'm curious, like, what would that shadow work look like for peers?
1: I think for one, it's important to, like, recognize internalized oppression that um, we've gathered from the mental health system because a lot of us, if not most of us who've been hired by it, have been through it. And when you go through that process. um, If you're lucky, like you'll go through, you'll get the support of a team that's like very open minded and forward thinking and person centered. Um, But I think a lot of peers have experienced some level of powerlessness or invalidation or some degree of oppression. And you know, even from well-meaning teams and clinicians, you know, it's just part. It's just part of the paradigm of that system, and it's really hard to not go through that and escape it, like without any kind of bruises or wounding, or you know, from that. So, um, I think some of the some of us as peers have um, have internalized that and have still moved forward in our lives. You know, um, you know, created more of a life for ourselves, but we might still be holding on to that baggage of mm. like low self esteem or invalidating ourselves or seeing ourselves in a limiting way because of the um the narratives we're given. And it, it's a really it's a challenging process, but it's a really um I think important process for us to like sort through that and and process it
0: no i I totally agree I mean I think one big piece of like why we why peers are important is uh challenging some of that stigma, so like if we are still struggling with our own internalized stigma, how are we supposed to support other people to work through that themselves
1: yeah yeah exactly um so yeah i think I think first and foremost like that's probably one thing for a lot of us as peers to look at, to, to check in with ourselves, like, am I carrying any kind of, like, internalized oppression or, or baggage from my experiences with mental health? Um, and then, in general, too, um, learning ways we can kind of hold space for ourselves and, like, process... Um, process, you could say deeper parts of ourselves that maybe we haven't really explored or looked at. Yeah. Which is also Probably. very challenging.
0: <laughs> yeah, That I mean, I was gonna say that's like, that's a tough process. Yeah. Um. It is important, though. Um, we also like, don't want to deny our shadow selves and you know act like everything's hunky-dory um yeah acting in that way might be antithetical to peer support and you know this idea that like we can be vulnerable you know say if we're having a bad day or um something like that yeah totally yeah Um. i i will say i I'm not sure, Um, you know, in terms of, like, the unity that we have in Oregon, in terms of the peer movement, it just seems like all over the place, um, especially, you know, with addictions, peer support coming more to the forefront and having some philosophical differences with mental health, peer support, depending on who you talk to, Um, I... I mean I've seen all over the spectrum but I haven't you know this is like secondhand experience but I've heard that like for example in New York the peer movement is a lot more unified than in Oregon so I'm kind of curious like what that looks like Um, I have you know some really great individual conversations with folks um, but I've also had some not so great um, I've heard you know some peers say that there isn't really a reason to talk about the consumer survivor ex-patient movement anymore, even though that's like why we have peers or, um, just the focus be like, uh, very heavy around, you know, how can we get the most billing and things like that. And I think mm-hmm. things like that are really the result of co-optation. Um, yeah it's, I think it's just hard to like, I, I want to see us have you know those core values that we can all agree on and stick to and use that as forward momentum to um, yeah, keep the movement going forward. Um, I would definitely like to see um, more options for peer support. Um, like I said, you know, I haven't really been able to find, one-on-one peer support for myself um and part of the challenge is like like i know people who do it but i know them personally so i wouldn't really want to get peer support from somebody i know personally (laughs) yeah um and um in other cases like i've reached out to some folks who like have a website and say you know they do um peer support by private pay, and I just don't hear back. (laughs) So it's like, well, I guess they're not doing it anymore. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I just, um, just more options, more accessibility. Um, It's great that folks who um, are on Medicaid can access peer support. I don't know how consistent that's been for everybody who's on Medicaid because it's like, well, you might get peer support if you have this specific service or not, you know, it's it's all um, very siloed. So um, yeah, I think just having it where like, you know, there are some a couple like in Portland, you know, drop-in centers where you can go and get peer support, but the hours are really limited. So, like, seeing more expanded hours, um, you know, usually, like, the example I'm thinking of is open from 12 to 4. From 12 to 4, I'm usually working, so I can't, yeah. you know, that's that's not an option for me. Um,
1: Stuff for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just really I want support to be for everybody (laughs) um and it's i don't know it's just interesting like how backwards things are sometimes where it's like you know easier to find sustainable funding for maybe a peer support that is like only going to be accessible to a few very few amount of people um versus it like it might be more challenging to find ways to financially sustained programs that are for everybody. Um, so, yeah.
1: <laughs> what I'd love uh, to see is, um, cause, cause in Oregon with, um, at least with Care Oregon's Med- Medicaid, peers can bill privately. And so um, I'd really love to see either like a network of independent contracting peers who just like work in the community directly and basically are self-employed, but like, you know, connected to each other or uh, something like maybe a co-op model of Mm -hmm. peers um, as co-owners of a business.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just like, as a service recipient, I just want a list of people that I can like open up, you know, like psychology today or something. Yeah. Just open up a list and be like, or other people i have to choose from for peer support and maybe you know try some people out and be like ah well i didn't really connect that well with this person so i'm gonna try this other person um whereas right now it's kind of like word of mouth or i think there's been some attempts to put provider lists together but they're not always very well updated um and i don't always know if those lists are just kind of like thrown together or if they actually had the consent of the peer. Cause I'm like, I know this person has a full-time job. I don't know if they're taking random phone calls from people in the community, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, peer respite is coming up in Oregon. You know, they have, um, announced, you know, who's going to get funding for those respites and those will start opening up in a c- couple of years, I think, and
1: Good.
0: will probably inevitably, inevitably lead to more because I think we're going to start with three for the whole state of Oregon. So yeah. I think that yeah. will plurif- oh <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to try to say that word. It'll expand. <laughs> yeah. Um
1: you know, I thought it'd be such a cool idea if something like Airbnb or Couch Surfers partnered with um I don't know, partnered partnered with um some kind of organization to yeah. do like like on the fly respite.
0: <clears throat> yeah, that'd be cool. Like yeah, you just um sign up and crash on someone's couch and then give your support.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs>
0: I mean yeah. The, yeah, there's a time in my life where that probably would have been really helpful. So
1: <laughs> Yeah. Or even just like um you know, like a like a fairly cheap Airbnb room rental. You know, like maybe like a like a AUD or tiny home or um just the back room of someone's house and Or even, you know, um I think this is What some peers did, like, at the very beginning of um, the movement, they just had, like, volunteer houses, you know, like, peers Mm -hmm. who had homes or people in the community who had homes who were willing to just, like, house someone in their own home as respite. And I think it was almost like this underground network. I think that'd be really cool to, like, resurrect if we could do that.
0: Yeah, I I just, I think something like that would require a lot of trust that is not like present in our community or just in our society at the moment.
1: Damn, um, why is that? What did the, what, what happened?
0: Well, resources, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that, well, there's probably like really complex reasons that I can't totally, you know, i
1: a really, I think you hit on something really vital, because trust, there's a lack of trust. I think you're absolutely right. And my mind is just going to like, shit, when they started, they probably they bootstrapped everything. I mean, these are literally ex patients who probably had very minimal resources, but somehow they bootstrapped it together. And but they had trust, I'm sure they had that was the missing ingredient trust.
0: Yeah, well, it probably felt like, you know, after being betrayed by an entire system that all people could trust was each other, like having that shared experience of being um, psychiatric survivors. So I think one of the things that I have thought about recently is there isn't really, you know, in order to become a peer in Oregon, you have to have access mental health services but there's not like and i don't know that you could really regulate this but it opens the door for people who are not psychiatric survivors but who have access mental health services to become peers and so i think that may complicate some of the trust um that makes sense i was just talking about this with someone earlier today like if you haven't had the experience of being behind locked doors and you can't leave, and you don't have access to your belongings. Um, if you haven't been through that experience, or are not able to put yourself in the shoes of someone who's been through that experience, it's it's just like there's a piece of it you don't get. Um, that's I would difficult love to understand.
1: Sorry, <laughs> I would I would love to have some kind of community dialogue because I think that's freaking huge what you just said like that is a very it's a very unique experience and even today at work um they did a online training about the uh, history of mental health and they talked a lot about like the state hospitals so so that's been on my mind today and um yeah i mean it was it was like literally torture it wasn't treatment it was fucking torture
0: yeah, oh. and I mean, like, my experience of being in the hospital is, you know, it looks different. I think I was in the hospital for, like, a month, and it wasn't the state hospital. So my experience is going to look different from someone who was in the state hospital for months or years. Um, or, you know, like, I went voluntarily. Some folks, it wasn't a choice. So, yeah. Um, But I think like that experience has given me a lot of empathy. Like whenever I go into programs, I'm always thinking about like, you know, like residential programs. I'm like, would I want to stay here? (laughs) You know, would I like it here? Um, Yeah. And I don't think other people, you know, are necessarily thinking in that way. Um,
1: Yeah, I'd love to have a dialogue where-'cause I feel like there's gotta be a way to honor both things like to honor that there there's a group of ex patients who went into the hospitals, which is a very like unique experience, and um like to honor those stories and also at the same time to to broaden the peer, the peer movement to include. Um, because so many I'm trying to think of there's um, I feel like the best way I can say this is to share a bit of my own experience.
0: Yeah.
1: So I. I wasn't fully in the mental health system as part of my, um, you could say recovery or whatever, you know, um, I, I was diagnosed at 11, saw a therapist very briefly, and then wasn't able to see that therapist anymore. And, um, was basically, basically had no mental health support or services until like 18 when I got re-diagnosed, but it was just like a one-off sort of thing. And I was sent out again with like no diagnosis and like, okay, good luck. Um And then um voluntarily sought out therapy a few years after that, when I was able and had like the insurance to do so. Um, and was very like picky about which therapist to work with because I went through several of them and had some very bad experiences with many of them until I found like my last two were the good ones, and um, they actually, I feel, supported me um, without judging or shaming or um, trying to pigeonhole me. And uh, and that did me a lot of good, but um, they were also, you know, very maverick and weren't were pretty diagnosis neutral. Mm. They weren't opposed to diagnosing, but it wasn't really their focus. So you know, I, I was given like a, a loose diagnosis of PTSD, but you know that was pretty much it. Um, and then it's only like literally very recently, like the past couple months where I've been going into these rabbit holes of, um, really trying to figure this out, figuring, figuring, myself out and finally feeling like something's hitting, like it's making sense, like learning about OCD and realizing, yeah, these are all of my experiences. Like ever since I was a kid, all these things that I felt like deep, deep shame about hate self hate about, like, because with OCD, for those who aren't familiar with it, it includes intrusive thoughts that can be very, um, very, very different from normal thoughts. And it it can bring like intense shame. Mm -hmm. And if you've lived with with the sorry, if you've lived with this for years, most of your life, I think it also like deepens self-hate. If you don't know what's going on, if you think, oh, this is just me, and then on top of that, like experiencing narcissistic abuse, which on the surface to some people might seem... Because um, in some ways it can be so... less obvious than physical abuse.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And narcissists tend to be very good at Charming people on the outside and convincing them that they're not doing anything wrong, even sometimes convincing you they're not doing anything wrong. Yeah, when the whole time they're really mind fucking you and making you hate yourself and making you doubt yourself. And it's not a light thing. It gets to the core of who you are as a human being like. It it, in a way, it just. It really fucks with your your sense of identity. And, um, but on the surface, like, it can look to other people as just nothing really serious if they don't really like get to know you or if they don't really like feel what you're going through. And, um, yeah. So she, <laughs> thanks for <laughs> me share all that. But um, my whole point to share that was mostly that, um, like, I didn't go through the traditional mental health system, but I still suffered a lot. And I, um, at least growing up, I didn't have very much professional support, which, um, looking back in some ways, I'm grateful for because of some of the treatments they wanted to put me on at the time that I, um, wasn't comfortable with. And, um, but in other ways it also like really debilitated me cause I was going through all this, um, trauma without really good support for it.
0: And, uh, yeah. I mean, I think, um, kind of the common thread I'm hearing is like not having a voice. Um, yeah. And that, you know, can speak to also the experience of being locked up. Um, So, yeah, I I definitely, like, I hear that and I I totally resonate with it. Um, And I think, you know, for folks who, like, have had experiences like your own, like, there can... You know, through conversation, be that common ground. I think um, where I don't always necessarily know where the common ground is is when I see peers who have only had positive experiences in the mental health system, and um, there's more of a focus on like compliance or just like hitting the check boxes of what you're supposed to be doing in treatment, and then just eventually, you know. You'll find the right medication or you'll find the right therapist you'll find the right diagnosis and there's not as much like questioning of the system
1: yeah and in, in, in that sense i think the co-optation is really obvious there of um and nothing against the, the peers who are coming from that place but um i think that's what the system wants you know they ultimately want yeah. peers who want to enforce compliance and just go along with the status quo. They don't want peers really who disagree with the status quo.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it feels crappy to be like, <laughs> you had good experiences in the mental self system. How dare you? <laughs> um, but it's also it's like, great. you can have, you, you can have that and also like be willing to listen when other people are saying, you know, they've had not so great experiences. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, that that that's where that that shadow can come through of um I think in in the best case scenario that person it's like they're offering another choice to, you know, people looking for support because there might be people there are people who want that works for them. They they just want, you know, um the straightforward i don't know how do i say it? <laughs> the straightforward path that the mental health system offers like for some people mm-hmm. it works and for some people it's just like it makes things maybe mentally simpler for them and easier yeah um, and so it's good to have peers who have had experience with that to walk with them through that um but that also doesn't meet everyone's needs and it it if that's the majority of the peers isn't Available, then it's also not giving choice.
0: Yeah. I mean, what's coming up for me is that I think this speaks to a need for Oregon to have a peer code of ethics or code of conduct, because right now we don't. Um, and other states do, and that might give us a sense of like these are all, you know, the values we're agreeing to as peers. Um and you know, I think there are pros and cons to that. But just like seeing how scattered things have been, it would be nice to see something that can bring us all together and be like, yeah, you know, we have these shared values. Um,
1: yeah, I, was, I just was thinking like a Mac MacBook, or um,
0: it doesn't need to be as long as MacBooks. <laughs>
1: But I'm also wondering if that even is the best representation of peer values too. Oh,
0: um, no, because Right, so it's like the Macbo code of conduct is for certified recovery mentors and then it's also they use almost the exact same one for clinical roles. So, yeah. no, I would say that's And it goes into way too much detail of things that like No, I mean I'm just talking about like a one pager of like peer support is recovery oriented. Peer support is, um, you know, focus on challenging the status quo. I don't know. I'm just, like, throwing stuff out there. But it just, like, yeah. really broad values, not getting into, like, you know, you got to wait um, three years before you friend somebody on Facebook that you gave peer support to. <laughs> it's like, <Right>. no. <laughs> Like, we don't yeah. – I don't think we need to get into that level of detail. But just, like, the really broad, like, what – what do we want the purpose of peer support to be in Oregon, right?
1: And that's a good question. And I I think even just having that question could possibly unify peers just to even try to respond to that question. And I think it would, um, you know, different peers would have different answers. But if we're talking about it, then at least we're kind of being brought together around that to figure that out, you know, what can we agree on? And um, I love how you, I actually really like how you brought that up too, because it, even for the well-meaning peers who you could say had like a successful outcome from going through the system, um, if they're coming from a place grounded in like clinical values, they're also not really doing peer support, you know? Um, So that's a great point you brought up. Like it's, um, it's for all of us. It's for what, regardless of our, backgrounds or mental health journeys, like, um, yeah, we need to remember, like, where this came from, and why it's here, you know, it was born from people who were traumatized and abused by the system. And the system has gotten better, but um, there's still a lot of room for change, like, it's, it's not over. And peers, our lifeblood comes from that from seeing the potential for change
0: yeah and i mean just like the way that i think of it is is like we have plenty of clinicians you know we have plenty of like mm-hmm. clinical staff peers are here to do something different from that if we're just doing more of the same that loses some of the purpose of peer support to begin with
1: yeah I would really love to see um in a way kind of going back to your previous question of like what's the future of peer support i would love to see peer support when it's outside of clinical settings and we we already do with like peer-run organizations but even then um to some degree like if they're receiving grant money from the state or federally um i've been talking to like another peer about this recently who's he brought up a really great point that, well, with some of those grants, there are strings attached and there are, you know, specific things that, that, um, government agency might be looking for some of which might contradict our values.
0: Yeah. There's also sometimes, you know, you need to report back on data and yeah, it it brings on like administrative demands that can take away from the work.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, um, I think even well-meaning peer organizations that um, are reliant on grant money, and in some cases, like I understand, like that's for some organizations, that's what you need to survive. Um, It can still potentially diminish like peers' potential. And I guess I would just love to see if I was just to like be, you know, wild with my imagination, I would love to see peers who don't have to rely on any of that and are, self funded, Um maybe, you know, billing, Medicaid directly, that could be part of it. But, you know, for the most part, like self funded, grassroots, um, bootlegging where we need to, so that we can really just be free to be ourselves. So we can, like define peer support on our own terms.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I can't remember what meeting it was, but I, I brought up the question of like, um, because in clinical organizations, if you work as a peer, it's required you have an hour of clinical supervision a month. And I asked the question of like, are we going to ever remove this? So we can have like career ladders that are just peer focused and you don't have to just, Shohorn shoehorn, shoehorn a um in there to provide that clinical supervision, and the answer I got was, no, that's never gonna change so I'm like, well <laughs> okay then yeah. um so yeah, it would be nice to see that you know freedom, financial freedom, and ability to um just be like self contained peer support and um you know, I think there is value to having peer support embedded in clinical systems, too. Totally. Uh, but again, like, giving people options.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I've played with the idea of, like, the medieval guild model. like <laughs> <laughs> Almost like, um, well, because, you know, the guild model was, it was very um, community-based, and it was very it was like a, an ecosystem. And all the people in the guild supported each other, like, like the really early guilds, basically, they were almost the um, prototypes for what we now have as pensions and insurance and things like that, like the guilds kind of started that whole thing. As far as I know, you know, um, and so the, they would support each other. And if like one of the guild members got sick, died and their family was relying on that income like the whole guild would um come together for that person and like provide support and resources
0: that's awesome i just laughed because i had a mental image of like all these peers sitting at a round table so
1: heck yeah 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 i (laughs) love that like
0: yeah evil suits you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) but hey even that idea of the round table you know everyone's equal yeah 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 Totally. And then with guilds, you know, the guild has its own system of um, progression. You know, you have the apprentice, mm-hmm. you have the the, the journeyman, journey person, and mm-hmm. um, moving up to master, which master is just someone who um, has a lot of experience and com- completes a masterpiece. You know, yeah, that's where that term comes, I think, comes from. And um,
0: yeah, it would be nice to have that sense of progression um you know not even in terms of like a career ladder but um i'm being able to like maybe mentor other peers who are newer um yeah or just i don't know i might be thinking of more like um (laughs) <laughs> maybe being taken seriously by other professions because it's like it doesn't matter how yeah. many experience years of experience you've had in the field is just like peer support specialist and um, it's but it's like through you know my almost eight years of experience in the field like I've learned so much that I obviously I didn't just get out of that 40-hour training so yeah I don't know it's kind of an interesting thought
1: I think there's value to that. Yeah, you know, outside agencies might look at us as like, oh, we're all the same thing. But we know that's not the case, you know, in our own ecosystem. Well, I mean, it's true, like, you having the years of experience you have, you have um, more skill than someone who's just starting who's just fresh out of training. And that's real. That's totally real. I think agencies acknowledge that to some some extent, but um, I love yet yeah, like what you said, like you know peers with more experience, kind of coaching and guiding newer peers.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would have loved a, a mentor when I first started. You know, in a formal way. I think I had kind of informal mentors along the way, um, but having something. More structured i think would have been helpful um i think you know partially to to just um confirm that a lot of my instincts were correct because early on i was questioning myself when i was challenging a lot of the clinical stuff i'm like you know maybe i'm being too sensitive or um maybe i'm wrong and they're right and you know looking back i'm like no i i was a hundred percent correct in you know yeah my The challenges I brought up, um, what I wanted to say and didn't. And I think it would have been really nice to have somebody to um, guide me through that a little bit more.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, have your back.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, I did sort of at the time, but again, it was more in the informal sense. And I don't think that that person had the hours dedicated to that role that they should have probably. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I always, like, with that structure, I always remember thinking, so why isn't the person who is the peer in a leadership position my supervisor? Why is the clinician my supervisor? This doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Right, yeah. And yeah it really it really doesn't make sense um it
1: doesn't yeah clinicians don't know the peer role just as peers don't know the clinical role
0: yeah i i think you know it it is possible to bridge the understanding but it has to be done intentionally and um with time you can't just like throw peers under the supervision of a clinician and just expect them to do well with no um, guidance or training.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they, they might end up, um, taking on some of the qualities of that clinical mindset too along the way. Yeah. (laughs) I just want to say too that, um, I have nothing against like the clinical mindset per se, You know, just as a concept, it's more. I think there are actually different clinical mindsets and there just happens to be one favored by mainstream mental health right now for some (laughs) reason. I think that reason is partially because of funding and insurance. Yeah. um, Yeah. Different societal factors at play with that.
0: Well, and it's, you know, it's easier to study something really concrete like, cognitive behavioral therapy versus Mm -hmm. things that are more um, nuanced and broad, like humanistic therapy or existential therapy.
1: Exactly. No, that's a, that's a great point. That's really a great point because, you know, I've really been thinking about like, why is it just CBT? Like when they go to school, like, why is it just CBT for, for most schools, you know, unless you're going to a specialized one, but I like what you just said. It's, it is, it's more formalized huh it's like more of like a um manualized process that's probably easier to follow yeah it's
0: like a step-by-step thing i don't know if you could like i mean maybe but uh, i don't know if like humanistic therapy is as much of a step-by-step process there are like philosophical values that go into humanistic therapy but it's yeah it's more broad um And I also wanted to say that I think, um, sometimes, like, what I call, like, an overly clinical perspective has more to do with, like, ego and just, um, just the sense of, like, I don't know, I think some people, like, when they go to school and get a degree, it's, like, A status symbol for them Mm -hmm. and they put a lot of weight into the education that they paid for and um having somebody challenge that who doesn't have the same education level is kind of like a threat to status and um yeah I mean like I've experienced that you know in my work as a peer and also like as a person receiving services just like this sense of like you know this person isn't open to being questioned so i maybe you could put some of that on clinical models um but i also think that's a human issue and um maybe something that needs to be like more vetted in the process of like becoming um a provider in the mental health field like i feel like in order to be a good provider you should be able to receive feedback <laughs> um should. or be open to like questions um
1: yeah anyone yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter your status yeah yeah and and um i think it's probably more true for mental health professionals than any other field or almost any other field I would say it's it's important for most of us, if not all of us, to do some kind of shadow work. Like I feel, full heartedly, like that should be a mandatory part of all of our trainings. It should be mandatory for clinical training. It should be mandatory for peer training. Like, um, and I say shadow work in a broader sense. Not you know, um, I know there's like a specialized definition for that too, but I just mean the process of going inwards, introspecting. being emotionally intelligent and self-aware of our own emotions and where they're coming from and having the willingness to like go within and explore that. Cause like a a lot of us, even in the mental health field, um, we weren't taught how to do that for ourselves. And um, with some of us, we're not even willing to. And um, I just think it's like, it's, it's essential. It's like, for me it's like the emotional foundation of this work we have to be able to do the inner work on ourselves if we want to provide any kind of support to others it just goes hand in hand
0: well yeah i mean and some of that i think is like the self-awareness piece <laughs> that can be an important part of peer support and also other roles but yeah like having self-awareness around like when we're getting activated in a conversation um or you know it's just our own personal activations when like we might self-awareness around like when we might be speaking from a place of like our own personal bias or something like that um, yeah that's true that's a, that's all definitely important and I mean I think um you know like intentional peer support does emphasize like the importance of self-awareness so I think For some folks that may kind of unintentionally lead to some shadow work. I think that's kind of like my experience. Um, But I don't remember, like I had a different peer training as my original training, um, not intentional peer support. And I don't remember self-awareness really being like part of that training. Um, Maybe, you know, some piece about like taking care of yourself or, so, you know, something like that, like making sure you're good in your recovery before you start supporting other people. But yeah, I don't think there was really, like, as big of an emphasis on, like, you know, kind of noticing what's going on in ourselves when we're interacting with other people.
1: Yeah. Um, I like what you said about the IPS because I... Yeah, um, I don't want to disrespect it by saying like I didn't get that because it was a really intense week. It was a lot of stuff came up during that training, and um, from the people who took it with me, like they said the same thing. Like it, it brought up a lot of stuff for a lot of people, and I think there was there was like a like an, like an activation or like a healing process that got started with that. Um, The idea kind of came up as you were saying that, like, shoot, with the stuff that's really deep, especially, and that's really old, um, because, like, I've experienced that with psychedelics. Like, I, I would have a session and, like, really deep stuff or really, like, old stuff would come up. And I would start to process it and even like, have like a breakthrough would feel like a breakthrough. And then it's like, you kind of come back to like quote unquote reality. And it's like, if you don't know how to integrate that, it's, or even worse, if you come from that into an environment, that's not healthy, then it's like almost jarring. And um, yeah. Especially if it's, like, if you don't have any support after that, too. And that idea came up, like, um, with something like that, something that brings stuff up for people, I think it's it would be really cool to have, like, a follow-up kind of group. Like, like taking IPS as an example, like, instead of it just being, like, one week and then, like, you're done, like, having, like, a group that, like a cohort that stays with you for a full year that you can like mm. follow up with, or even have maybe like monthly meetings with over Zoom or something, and maybe like a so chat. Like
0: Co reflection, but structured around who you actually had the training with to kind of like maintain those connections. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then, like, you know, having the focus kind of be on like, supporting each other to process stuff and holding space for each other and integrating like things that have come up.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, it's so easy to just like take a five day training and then be like, that was great. And then, you know, forget about it. If you're not, um, being actively encouraged to integrate it into your day-to-day work, um, I, I mean, I was, and I know that I know now that like, I'm really lucky to have had that experience, and I didn't realize it at the time, because uh, for other folks, they just get sent, and then it's like, back to status quo when they come back. Um, yeah. 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 Well. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Um, I guess I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I guess we've said a lot. Um, Well, thanks, folks, for listening, if you made it this far. Yeah. Um, And we'll be back next time with more peer support stuff. (laughs)
1: yeah maybe this um almost is like the like that whole um follow-up integration idea like maybe this is that too you know for us like um yeah who knows like who knows what's going to come out of this
0: right yeah the future of peer support is this podcast (laughs) there you go (laughs) all right